Good morning and welcome, Chris Skeeth, CEO of Association of Industry Organisers. Good morning, Dan. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you today? Oh, it's all right. Another day, another day, another dollar. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Thank you so much for taking um, some time out of your busy schedule to join us today. I, I appreciate that you've uh, got quite a bit on your place at the moment. Um, Chris, we've got, a, got, got quite a lot to talk about. It'd be great um, for our listeners, viewers that aren't aware, um, if you can just give us a bit more about your role um, and explain a bit more about the AEO. Of course, no, no problem at all. So um, I'm Chris Kidd. I've been in the events industry for God, almost 25 years. I started off working with an uh, audit company, uh, ABC, uh, looking yep. at trade exhibition and consumer exhibition auditing, which is uh, a great intro to the sector which I fell in love with. Um, and then um, I've had the privilege of uh, setting up uh, ESSA for the Supplier Association back in 2008. Uh, I then had the pleasure of running the Venue Association, AEV, um, uh, for four years. And then six years ago, uh, ran, started running the AEO, the Association of Event Organisers. So with that collaboration of AEO, AV and ESSA, we, we, we come together under the umbrella of uh, something called EIA, the Events Industry Alliance. Um, and as associations, we represent the eleven billion pound trade and consumer show sector, and, and those kind of events that happen in the, the bigger exhibition centres, such as the NEC, uh, the SEC up in Glasgow, um, uh, built by the suppliers such as Freedom to GES, as those kind of people. So uh, AEO represents eighty-six organisers of events, um, organising some eleven hundred. Uh, used to organised some 1,100 in the UK, supporting 180,000 businesses uh, who use that medium to do trade. Um, and what's also interesting is about half of our members have an international portfolio. So as you know, the UK industry leads yep. the world. Um, and then from their UK offices, they run around uh, 1,000 events around the world that bring in really important uh, uh, turnover into the UK economy. So it's just over 2.1% billion pounds worth of turnover into the UK economy, which interestingly would make them the eighth largest service exporter uh, if you looked at the ONS stats from 2016 for service exports. So as a sector where we're pretty big and significant and business events is, is, is a big part of it. Um, a couple of other roles I've got very quickly. Um, yep. I'm Vice Chair and Treasurer of the BBEP, the Business Visits and Events Partnership, so a collaboration across uh, uh, the number of associations over in the event sector, so from the MIA to ICA to uh, all, all those kind of guys. And we uh, uh, represent ourselves on the events industry board run by the DCMS. And then finally, I've got a bit of an international bit of work where I chair the Associations Committee for uh, UFI, the Global Associations for the Exhibition Industry. And with that, I sit on their executive board. So I'm very fortunate to have a, a view of more associations in the UK event market, but also the global view uh, by working with associations across the world with UFI. So that's a little bit of a snippet of uh, the world that I live sure. in. <laughs> so um, quite a few roles that you hold there and quite obviously important roles, um, both before the pandemic and obviously currently at the moment. Um, obviously want to talk about the industry at this time, Chris, because um, that's what our viewers are, I guess, most interested in. Um, a lot of them would have either left roles or still be in roles and quite fearful of what's happening at the moment. Why do you feel that there's been such little acknowledgement by the government of the industry that you represent? So I, I think if we back, back the truck up until 
at the beginning of the year, you know, as a sector, we're, we're quite a sleeping giant. And there's a brilliant little video that uh, Natasha from ExpoCast did that tried to describe to your friend what it was you did for a living. I'm sure you've seen it. Yeah. It, was, it was brilliant. So as a sector, we've never had the need uh, really to represent ourselves to government. Um, for the 15 or so years I've been involved in the public affairs side, our asks of government are very light. So therefore our demands have been light touch. And I'd probably say probably 5% of my time was spent looking at public affairs. And yeah. we, we, we had a home within DCMS, which was fit for purpose. Um, our objectives were... But historically, up until about 18 months ago, we're very much leave us to leave us to get on with it. Don't put barriers in our way. Um, but yeah. over the last sort of 18 months or two years, we've been trying to up that ante just with a view to try and get people uh, to support more, whether it be soft support, whether it be using events to drive the economic benefit within the industrial sectors that are important to them, get involved at, uh, in, the, in the speaker uh, conference programs, so, you know, use events as, a, as part of that medium for their message. Sure. Know, if you've got a health story, get involved in some consumer health events, those kind of things. So we're very much seeking more soft support, and we're beginning to break down those barriers, which is we've been pretty good. But as a sector, we, we're fairly complex. Our needs were quite light touch, and we were a little bit of a sleeping giant. So um, that 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 that's where we started from. However, uh, in the last seven months, we have <laughs> interesting one of our objectives from Darren Johnson, who's the who's the chair of AEO, was to increase our recognition within government and boy oh boy I mean I've spent 105% of my time there doing public affairs and we have been speaking to ministers, secretary of states, members of the opposition, uh, select committee chairs, vice chairs, senior public advisors right the way through to uh, number 10 and the cabinet office so I think ironically whilst we are in a uh, 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 a state of not trading, awareness of the sector has never been higher and engagement sure. in the industry has never been higher. Um, but so you're backing up a few months ago, our needs were little, but in a very short space of time, we've actually got, got those conversations going. Sure. And you made, um, you made a remark there that you said approximately 5% of your time or maybe the, in, the, the industry um, association's time before the pandemic was spent maybe actively lobbying government. Yes. Um, in hindsight, do you think that was a mistake, and maybe that was, there was too much little time spent? Uh, yeah, obviously, yeah. Um, but but you, one of the power of any association, and I, you know, for me, um, an association represents its members. Sure. So everything you do is all about them. It's not about us. It's not about AO. It's not about the members. Sure. It's all about the members, and 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 the, and the members, um, you know create your path they create what working groups you do what best practice you set so you know but as a, so therefore you spend your limited time and resource on their needs and you know and, and hindsight's a wonderful thing i mean who'd have thought that sure. uh, you know, through recessions events are normally the ones that come through really strong as yeah, an example um and you know so, but, but i think you, you you could look back and you could go we should have done more however you could look forward and go actually we've got a great platform now of understanding and and what's been brilliant in the last six months is we've been able to present the economic case. So yep. how trade and consumer shows drive economic growth. And then going forward, how we can help in Brexit, how we can help kickstart the economy. We've proved a safety case. So we've, we've created government approved guidance. You know, actually had a hand on the pen in writing that guidance and delivered pilots that have proved that safety case. And then we've demonstrated 
to government how significant and important the sector is to other countries' economies, so Germany, France, you know, how they see exhibitions as an integral part of their economic uh, uh, construction and dynamic, and, and perhaps highlight how the, the UK government haven't had that opportunity and embraced it so much. So going forward, there's a great opportunity to do it. So we've certainly created a platform for exchange that we haven't needed in the past, but going forward, we can use that as, as some good foundations going forward. Sure. Um, and you've obviously said um, at the beginning that you've spoken to senior government directly. And I know that I think only today and tomorrow you're going to be speaking to BASE, the Department of Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy and, and Oliver Dowden. Um, can you give our viewers an insight as to what happens at those meetings, the sort of format and really how much um, power you have to influence when you're in front of them? Sure. I mean, we it depends very much on their agenda, but we have so many different points. Um, we we are able to relay our lobbying message dependent on the conversation at the time. So, for example, um, if you were looking at the, the differences between um, economic growth, we would cite in examples of international competitiveness. So, uh, to be honest, a brilliant example is the uh, the inconsistency of applications. So you have sectors that were open before in, in COVID secure venues, running to um, uh, social distance capacity. So you end up with the Albert Hall or the Palladian having events for thousands of people. So you know those are great opportunities to demonstrate that there, 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 there is a difference. So um, so so in the past we've, we've highlighted those elements. So look, we've got this inconsistency. We've proved we're safe. We've got government approved guidance that say you're letting this happen within a theatre, you know, why won't you let this happen in, in this way? So we, yep. we, I hate the word pivot, but we, we pivot our lobbying message to suit whatever the current affairs is at the time. And another example of that would be, for example, with the boat show. You know, we were able to demonstrate the impact to people, to stakeholders, to, um, to, to, to freelancers. So you know, when they couldn't get their license to run the big boat show, they ran the boat show B. Of trying to run the boat show B. So we've got case studies from exhibitors on how intrinsically important that event was to them. So you know, one particular exhibitor, 20% of their trade happened at that one show over that sure. days of the show. Because that didn't happen, a direct result is they had redundancies, but not only did that affect people based in Hampshire, where their business was based, but also the 1,400 supply chain businesses that go to making their product. So we've, we've done other case studies in relation to other other events. So we, we, we use the airtime we have with those people to talk about the current affairs topics at the time, but they're always going back to you know, our economic ability, our, our driving of economic growth, our impact on exhibitors, and then our impact on the supply chain. Um, not, again, another slight, sorry, there are so many examples over the last seven months and so many meetings. I'm sure. into the realms of over 300. Of these, so it's hard to pick yeah. anyone yeah. in particular. Um, but another one would be looking at the skills gap. You know, we have people who are being made unemployed from certain venues at the moment who have, that's their only job, it's the only thing that they've got. They're now reaching the mature end of their career, and will they get another job or not? You just don't know. But the skills they've got, the relationships they've got, the knowledge they've got. Um, so we've, we've pushed really hard about the needs to protect those skills and that talent that we have in, that in, in our industry, that when ultimately we will get to the, uh, manage this, uh, this pandemic and future 
challenges that we face. We need them so intrinsically. So, you know, highlighting the devastation uh, to the job market, highlighting the impact on people's lives, whether they be individuals or whether they be company directors or whether they be freelancers. So we, the messages are very, very different. But fundamentally, we're always drawing back to, you know, the, the, to the three core messages at the moment are, you know, crisis support, reopen and recovery. So we all yep. try to yep. pivot back onto sort of at least one or two of those those points. But the message depends on the story being our. Sure. And you mentioned um, the boat show. You mentioned um, theatres and the, the, the Royal Albert Hall. The other week, there was a, a book signing by Arsene Wenger, which you would have seen. Um, I think there was around a thousand people in there. And I know just from the comments on social media, there was a lot of frustration from other parts of the event industry, namely trade shows, um, who are frustrated that that was allowed to happen. And yet we don't have a roadmap to opening the trade show industry. Events are a broad church, right? How does an organization or how are you able to represent such a, a broad set of um, events, if you like, within within the industry? So, so I think you, you either try and um, look at everything. So, so yep. BPEP and things like One Industry, One Voice are, are doing a, a great job of representing overall. And then, and, and the way that we've worked with government before, and, and, and I mean, I know we've got 84 million, billion at the minute, if you include weddings, it's down to 70 yep. billion. If you're looking at broader events, if you look at business events, it's about 40 billion. So I've always used it um, as, a, as a door opener. You know, we are a significant sector of many parts of many specialisms. And here's where I can offer some specialist support and help. So if you're looking at um, uh, business events, if you're looking at meetings, conferences um, and, 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 and trade and consumer shows, you know, we're, we're working even more closely with the NIA at the moment because if you look at the way the government have defined us and the business events, so we work, work very closely with, with those. And, and one of the one of the reasons why AOA VNS are so successful is you've actually got a relatively small community of people that have a massive impact over those eleven hundred events that operate in a very similar way. So sure. therefore, you're able to create communities and subgroups. So, so ultimately, I wouldn't want to comment on how you could run a festival or how you could run a, a theatre performance. But what sure. I can do is bring the community of experts together to, to talk it through. So. Uh, I think we always talk about uh, the door opener as if we're an industry of many parts, but this is the part of which we're specialists. And, and, and ultimately, our aim is to support um, the opening of everything. But in order to open everything, we can cite example of good practice. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the book launch, they, they're able to do it. Oh, by the way, yeah. you know, we, did a, we did all secure expo. We demonstrated our ability to do it in a safe way with measures that look very familiar to other sure. parts of the sector. Um, now, how can we talk about getting our bit open? Um, so that, that that's that's the, the flow. So rather than, you know, I absolutely get everybody's angst. And, you know, if I wasn't representing a sector, if I didn't have to maintain my relationships with government officials, sure. you know, I would probably be, um, you know, joining that, that rallying sure. cry. Um, however, I can use that to our advantage, but look at it as a, as a, as a constructive mechanism. And I think for every... Um, uh, angry comment. There's also another comment from other people. They're going, hey, we should applaud those guys. You know, like, sure. that's great they got going. How can we use that to help ourselves? Sure. I think it's possibly more frustration than anger, but I, I get the point. I mean, so you don't think there's a case for decoupling the types of events and then having different messages for each part of the industry? I, you know, I, I liken, I liken either the industry or the activities to a bit like an American football team, right? 
So you've got offense, you've got defense, you've got kickers, yeah. and then it depends on the message you bring in the right team. So we we have from the start of this said asked our members what they wanted, um, uh, which represent eighty percent of the sector, and they wanted a laser like focus, targeting directly the influencers um, in government uh, with the policymakers on the influencers. So that's exactly what we've done. I said I won't be managing social media. Um, I won't sure. be managing those. I've, and we, we, we We've had public affairs guidance from a number of different professional public affairs businesses. We've had PR guidance from specialist PR people. So we we have got a, a line of attack, but we wouldn't go any other sector under the bus in that line of attack. Sure. Uh, we would take that approach for the benefit of all. Um, and you know, you could argue um, before my time, the the AO was the Association of Exhibition Organisers. Um, um, it's now the association of event organisers. Yeah. Um, but line to government, and when you look at the research that we have, the activities our members are. I mean, yeah, you could argue a trade or a consumer show is actually an event. Um, so you, you could argue over the last six months, I've actually said to the association of exhibition organisers again, because this is where my specialist yeah. skills lie. This is where my data points lie. But we, it's never at the um, to exclude any other sector. But you know, if, if if one can open, then that's going to help with, with the, the call to get other people to open. We can learn from their best practice. And interestingly, as a result of the uh, the pilot that we had, I'm now engaging with the head of public health England in terms of how other sectors can learn from the brilliant way that we put on events. Because we're in the business of managing risk. We're in the business of bringing communities together in a safe way. Um, so, uh, as a result of the pilot, we're, we're now engaging with the head of public health England in terms of how those lessons and learnings can be shared across other sectors, which is pretty cool. And again, that's an opportunity to demonstrate how brilliant we are as a sector at bringing people together in a safe in a safe manner. So, so I think you know, I think we all have a part to play. In summary, I think everybody's part can be really positive. Um, you know, but you've got to you've got to concentrate on on where, where your specialisms are, which is what I've been doing. You know, you can't be all things to all people. Um, and you know, and as I say, like the American football team, you you're picking the right team at the, at the minute. And if you have a a bunch of people that want to um, take some more physical positive action, that's great. That helps raise the awareness and the noise about the case. If you've got other people that want to do some really creative marketing communications, that's super cool as well. But what the biggest thing that we found um, is that you can't do everything yourself, right? So you, sure. you've got to rely on everybody else. The way the whole industry, regardless of where we fit, talking to their local MPs, creating that noise within Parliament has just been phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. And that, so that, yeah, I'm not going to suggest it's the power of the people or anything, but actually yeah. the, the way that everybody has unified around this desire to open safely has been incredible and it'll be a legacy of this pandemic so and i will come on and talk about that so and there's a question just come in and it's something i was going to reference obviously some parts of the rest of europe and the rest of the world have either opened or they at least they have a a roadmap to opening but yet we don't in in the uk why do you think that is so i think when when we started there was a roadmap was the, the traffic light thing that they came out with and unfortunately sure, sure. in that roadmap we were blasted out first to shut last to open uh, and then throughout that journey we're fighting science we're fighting an increasing con- infection rate so you know, if you're sitting in i'm not I'm not defending them by any stretch of the imagination but yeah you know, i uh, we are led to believe from the conversations that we've had 
the logic is, you know, why would you open a sector up that increases risk when we're trying to man manage that risk uh, within there? <coughs> so, so that's probably why we didn't get to there. But up to five weeks ago, we had a go day. Yeah, yeah. we had yeah. a go day. We we proved the safety case, we proved the economic case, we proved the international competitive case, we proved that power that we have as a sector to drive economic growth. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so we uh, we had all those things up until five weeks ago. Now, obviously, that that, that plan's been taken away. Um, if anybody, we are obviously that's our primary objective is to just to get that reopening side of, of, of things. Um, and I see lockdown as as a bit of an opportunity. So yeah, yeah. if you've made poor decisions and not understood how safe it is that we can open, if you've let other sectors open with similar or probably less control measures that we want to and have demonstrated we could do, isn't that a cool time to have that same ground zero level point? So why don't we, as we get out of lockdown, why don't we allow all sectors to reopen in the tier system and look, these are the kind of control measures that we can go. So I'm the one of been very busy over the last 72 odd hours um you know banging that drum to say that we've got a huge opportunity so no, nobody's lost any face you know sure, you've made sure. the right decisions at the right time based on the information that you had now we're at ground zero and you know that we can operate safely we've proven we can operate safely you know you need the economic recovery to happen and look this is what we can do um wouldn't it isn't it a great idea to do it so you know, that that's very much um what we're what, what we're focusing on here Sorry, to just one second, but if you look yeah, no, at in, internationally, we're also using the examples of Germany. So at the start, here's your furlough scheme to the end of the year if you need it or not. Yeah. Here's how we reopen. So you're not organised gatherings. Sorry, you're not mass gatherings, you're organised gatherings. And therefore, you open in September on this level, in October, full. The uh, caravan show is in Dusseldorf, 107,000 people, no cases of COVID. So again, we're using those examples about how you can safely reopen. Now, all around the world, everybody is still challenged and it isn't as rosy as um, it looks. So Germany are currently shut, shut for a month uh, and they're currently lobbying to be classified uh, uh, as, as, as sort of, um, uh, uh, they're, they're currently in as non-essential retail, or our equivalent. And they're fighting to be classified as, as business, so separate, so they could still operate. So they've unfortunately had a shutdown. But the difference between the UK and, and Germany is that, that, that there is a plan and there is a recovery. So sure. we're, we're, we're constantly putting suggestions about how that, that reopen and that, um, and that re recovery piece can be put forward. Sure. And talking about recovery, obviously, Project Recovery is an uh, Events Industry Alliance initiative. Yeah. Um, and there are lots of initiatives going on, lots of hashtags. We we make events, hashtag project recovery. Are they more than just a hashtag? What 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 what's actually what concrete results do you think we can expect from them? Do you know, I, I think I think there's an element but for us, our focus with project confidence, it was tailored towards our members' customers. So ultimately you've got to have um a slightly different conversation than I'm really sorry. You know, initially it was a race to postpone, then it was a race to sorry, uh, yeah, race, a, a, a race to reschedule, then it was a race to postpone, uh, and then most likely the other race to postpone. So you needed something else to talk about. So our focus with project recovery, which was way back in June, I believe we started that, um, was to sort of give our members some collateral they could use with their customers to remind them about how effective face-to-face -face marketing is, how 
uh, what a great return on their investment they're getting from taking part in the events. So that, that's, that was our, our focus point. Um, and then, you know, there have been quite a few other initiatives that we list on our website. So should our members decide they want to take part and contribute, some of them are physical, some of them are, um, are more social uh, marketing stuff. So, you know, it depends on what they want to do. Tangible benefits, our members have, uh, uh, have found it useful to talk to their customers to keep the conversations going. Um, you may have noticed a, a distinct change. Um, so it's hard to keep confidence going when a go yep. date has gone away. So it's now known as uh, project uh, recovery in a short space of time, um, taking a slightly different uh, line just to sort of uh, try and keep, keep the focus on you know, needing to get back. But going forward, you know, I think we're going to have to work really closely with our customers to make sure that they are reminded about the value of doing face-to-face engagement. And interesting, we have some new stories, won't we? You know, I mean, this isn't as cool sure. as being in a studio together. Um, you know, that would be much nicer. And, and, and certainly as an as a industry, a, 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 in the live events of the industry, yeah, we're missing meeting each other. But you can certainly do things virtually. But, you know, this, that, 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 that serendipity of meeting the all the sure. benefits that you get in our face-to-face. So we, we, we will extend to reminding people about those softer benefits as well as the harder economic benefits of doing live. And, you know, I think any noise is good noise. And back to the American football team, you know, you know it depends you you, you sure. pick the team you need at the time. And if we all support everything, that's going to be great. Sure. Thank you. And in, in terms of the future, what do you think? I know this is a big question to answer, and I'm going to ask you some specifics. What do you think the long-term effects are going to be for our industry in the uk long long term i, I think i think they're good yeah you know, I, I, you know we well, there's been various different pieces of research which tend to be out of date in a in a in the second <laughs> yeah. week but who did some research of nine thousand exhibitors and 71 percent of them wanted to come back and come back you know that was a while ago now you know um but I, you know, I think you know, the long-term you know, face-to-face works. You know, with the oldest medium, we started back in the markets. You know, post-war, yeah. we set up the Mesa halls, or the uh, Mesa halls were set up to service and drive local economic growth. So, you know, I, I think you know, you're looking at you know, virtual is, is brilliant and digital is brilliant. It's very complementary. Um, when I started back at AO back you know, six, I don't know, fifteen years ago with the associations. Um, the then CEO um, said that the, the future is live, not digital, and and, and it's still quite a true message. And we still want to meet. We still, you know, we're we're upset that we can't not gonna we're going to have our liberties removed somewhat for a short period of time with lockdown. And business sure. is the same. You know, you can maintain a business, but can you really grow a business without life? So I think the longer term is good. I think there will be a, a recovery road. You know, we're not going to go back to what we had before, and I I think our propositions are going to be even stronger. You know, you, you're, there's always a little bit of FOMO um, in relation to a rebook. Um, there's always a little bit being an ex-auditor. You know, it's all about the quality, not the quantity, all yeah. that couple of things. But I think now with the digital revolution that we've been somewhat forced upon us, we're going to be able to demonstrate so many more touch points and value prop um, and other things. You know, so by way of example, within AEO, we've, we've we have such an international membership with touch points across the world. It's been really hard to join those dots. Um, however, a carefully timed Zoom call, you can get the senior vice president and informer in Hong Kong sharing what's happening there, along with the VP in the US about what's happening there, blended with Europe. So we're able to bring a global community together quickly and easily. But that would now complement some of the other work that we're doing. So I think the, the, the future, we have to be a bit smarter. I think it will need 
there's some skills gaps that we need to plug and develop, whether it be in marketing or whether it be in sales about this omni-channel approach. Um, but I think we've, we've got a, you know, it's still a, a, a significant platform that will that, that will resurge and come back. Um, sure. It will be a lead time to do that. Though. And how, how impressive have you been with the industry response and its take up of technology and pivoting to virtual, dare I say, use that phrase? Yeah, uh, I mean they they have been amazing. Nobody's got nobody's got a silver bullet. Uh, we we have a technology group that we've had for a number of years, which has gone into overdrive. So as as this pandemic's come along, our ops groups, needless to say, meeting almost hourly at the beginning to get all secure deal dealt with. Um, now they've sort of moved on to more progressive manners, looking at skills and talents and 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 how we can make sure we've got the scale to to come back. Uh, but the technology group's another example where. Um, again, they were looking about integrating different technologies um, a few years ago. Now they're very much looking at digital solutions, but you know, nobody's got the answer yet. But what we, in terms of what the how the industry is reacting, they're coming. Yeah, we're not competitors, right? We're 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 a, we're a group in the organised community. You know, we're we're trying to serve best practice. So we had a, um, a meeting of um, a socially distanced and legally um, number of meeting over at the BDC with 20 CEOs across the membership talking about how they're looking at digital, how their products and services are evolving. Um, the downside is even though that's going really well, and that will be a great platform going forward, it's still not the same revenue that you, you get from a face-to-face. -face. So it's it's still a, um, it's not an alternative, but it will become very complementary. But the fact that the industry, uh, our, our working groups have never been busier. I mean, the, the, the team at the AO have, have run ragged, um, delivering all the different working groups um so that that's been great to see but we, we're always been looking at it feels, it feels like you know, running a bit of a family VAO. Uh, we come together to celebrate the rewards we come together to learn at the conference and then we come together to, to to do business better with the working groups and and those that engagement level ironically was my my sole objective this year was to raise engagement uh, throughout the organizations and across sure. the organizations and um I, I sort of wish we hadn't um, because it, it's for all the wrong reasons, but we've actually had more engagement and more than we've ever had before. So, and, and digi digital is that way. And so they're coming together to share uh, how they've done that uh, through these different groups. So, which is great. so Chris, if I had to push you, Q1, 2, 3, or 4, when's the industry going to open again? I think, yeah, I, do you know what? Things change on a minute by minute basis. I could say, as they stand now. As they stand now, um, yeah, I think that it depends. You look at it, it's complex, right? You could look at a scenario where I, I'm, I'm under so many NDAs. I, 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 sure. I, Fair I, enough. I it's very, very <laughs> difficult. But we are yeah. pushing, we are pushing yeah. for safely and as quickly as possible. And regardless of the date, which will be good yeah. for some people and not good for others, Sure. We need the date so then we can start to build our confidence with our customers around that. So whether it's the 1st of December, the 1st of January, the 1st of February, the 1st of March, um, you've read as, have read as much as as I have sure. in terms of where some organisers are, are, are pinning their hopes. Um, but our, our objective is to get as open as quickly and as safe, uh, in a safer manner as we can and get that date as quickly as we can because it's going to take a while we always talked about a 12-week lead time. That was to bring back a postponed event. You know, we're sure. really looking at, you know, six months to work with our customers, our exhibitors, to get them to feel comfortable investing in it. 
and there's a, there's other things that we're working on that will help that customer confidence. So you know we we have approached government to get heavily involved in mass testing. Um, yep. I, I'm under an NDA, so I can't see any more. But you know we're having positive constructive conversations. We've also approached government about uh, uh, um, insurance to protect the customers, the supply yes. chain, everybody as well. Yep. And again, those conversations are going well. Again, I can't talk too much about them, but you need to help. We need to step back and not think about the organizer, the venue, the supplier here. We need to think about our customer and how we can yep. make sure yep. that they want to come back with us because clearly we want to come back. Yeah, it gives them confidence. It's all about instilling confidence, as you said, not yeah. not just in ourselves, but also in the exhibitors and customers. Yeah. Um, and I j- just want to sort of move on to a couple of other things. Um, I'm just conscious of time. Um, the, ex- the exhibition industry or event industry um, has done a great job over the years in terms of raising the profile of uh, or the issue of gender, right? Gender balance and potential bias within the industry. And if you only have to look at the AEO board, the council, and some of the main exhibition organisers, lots of female faces. What about ethnic minority representation across the board? I think that you know, clearly we, again, as well as the pandemic, there have been some other quite seismic shifts in terms of public opinion and, and, and gender's de- and gender's always been one for a little while and ethnicity's yeah. another. Um, and again, like I said at the start of this call, from a from an AEO perspective, we listen to our members and deliver what they want. So uh, fortunately, or, or whatever, we, we have created a new group looking at diversity and inclusion. Okay. Um, one thing we did with with gender, interesting. When I started, is is, is we uh, we on our salary survey we, we gave a male female split of salary early before you had to legally for businesses of a certain size. And the other thing we did is we started to monitor um, our um, working groups, our speaker lineups, um, our uh, proportion of people on the board, uh, and we just started to monitor it. And it's funny if you start to monitor things, you start to I don't know if it's conscious bias or unconscious bias or bias of biases or whatever these these wonderful names for these different approaches are but if you start to look at something then things start to change um, and and uh, whether that's subconsciously or not so and and we find ourselves now in a place where emma barrett from the board she's uh, vice president of women's events industry uh, the initiative the global initiative over there um and we have a, a new diversity and inclusion so i think we've got a lot to do but equally our talent group is looking before pandemic it was all about um Trying to find new talents come into the industry. It was trying to trust and to, uh, you know, we, we felt we were losing skills at the top end and people weren't, weren't, weren't seeing it necessary to complete career choice. So they were already looking at where perhaps could you target um, key elements of society to come into the sector. So if, you, if you're then looking at this from a lens of what could we do differently, you know, that, that, that's a great opportunity to sort of try and increase and, and share things through. Um, so I, I've I've not lifted my head from public affairs since February. Um, however, um, a couple of months ago, uh, this is very ably led by Sarah Scott, um, our, our head of events, uh, but I've, I've, I've kept popping my head up to look and see how the diversity inclusion work has been going. And I, I found it fascinating and, and really interesting. And I think it's something we need to address. And, you know, fortunately, we, we was taking those steps towards that by, by the creation of that new group. So, but, uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's only right probably that we look at stuff and, and, and it's evolving, you know, it's, sure. it's changing all the time. Thank you. Um, I'd like to just move on to the AO Excellence Awards. Um, they're obviously taking place virtually this year on the 4th of December, I believe. 
And I think you were planning yesterday, I saw an, an image somewhere on social media that you were meeting one of the hosts. Can you tell us a bit about what we can expect this year? You, you can. Um, so what ultimately is the award to win. Um, we were very fortunate to have a, a, a stable number of entries way back at the height of the pandemic. So we were very grateful for the members who found the time in the middle of this crazy start to this pandemic. They didn't know what to do, but they got their entries in. Um, our 86 judges, so we employ a third party judging company to draw the judging for us. They're all above board. All the judges in the midst of lockdown did all the judging. Um, we sold 86% of the sponsorship and we were holding out for our June date. Uh, but in, in March, we pushed it back to December thinking this will be great. So, hence me not answering the question about what a good day, go date is. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely pointless because I don't know. But we thought yeah. we could run it. And then, to be honest, we've had quite a lot of um, we had a lot of thought about this. We spoke to the board and the event working group because, you know, a number of people who have vented those awards probably aren't in that business anymore. Sure. Um, you know, some of the people on the shortlist uh, companies may not exist anymore. So do you forget about it um, or do you celebrate? Do you try and recreate what was the awards uh, live? And we, we felt actually, do you know what, it, it's right and proper that we acknowledge and respect the hard work that everybody put in and put in the entries. We acknowledge and respect that those that we did have that brilliant success before the pandemic. So it was only right and proper that we recognise that in the awards itself. So it won't be um, you know sort of a celebration uh, as such because we are you know you've got to be representative of how people are and there's a lot of people out there who are really struggling and a lot of businesses that are sure. struggling. So you don't want to be out of kilter with that. So it's a it will be respectful. It will be about an hour long. It will be a pre-record, um, but we haven't skimped. We've still uh, got Dara O'Brien as the host. So um, I have had the privilege of seeing the opening and closing set, which uh, is quite yeah. appropriate. Um, and um, yeah. we're trying to, again, not trying to recreate something you can't recreate. Sure. Everybody wants to get together for a, for a celebration, but we're, we're hopefully putting in a few little twists and turns and a little bit of engagement on the day. Um, so we're, we're screening at a particular time. People can in, uh, uh, register by info at aeo.org.uk uh, to get their code to, to, to look at it all. Um, and we're delivering awards in a different ways, but it'll be a, a pre-record broadcast in a respectful way because we don't sure. want to be out of kilter. And interesting feedback from um, people have been, you know, that's really good. So I know one company um, who uh, in their... Um, renegotiation of some contracts with some suppliers have got 120 bottles of champagne that they <laughs> uh, they they got so yeah. um up to last week they were planning to have the office together um and, and celebrate in the office now they're going to be posting those bottles of champagnes out to their teams who will watch them at home and they'll watch it all in the zoom call so people sure. will be celebrating in their own way in, a, in an appropriate way um but the feedback has been everywhere they're going do you know what it's just what we need we're coming up to the end of the year that we'd like to forget um, and um, you know this, this is this at least it gives us a time to stop and uh, have a bit of a point in time to reflect sure. on how great we were as an industry, and then look forward at greater times to come. We look forward to attending it. Just um, a few final uh, questions. Do you feel the role of the association will change once the pandemic is over? Uh, yeah, it, it changes all the time. It's yeah. so different to when I started six years ago. Um, um, between me and you, I don't think there's anybody else listening, isn't there? I, I really don't enjoy public affairs. It was the bit of the job I really didn't enjoy. Uh, but you, 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 play the, you play the role you need to play. 
Sure. I can't wait to get back to leading a, 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 a global association supporting our members in, in many different ways. But, but one of the things that I hope will carry on is the unity and the collaboration. Um, sure. I mean, it's been you know, pretty heartfelt seeing how everybody has come together and has been supportive. The little messages from people, are you okay? You know, I mean, you know, we're, we're in unprecedented waters and there's quite a responsibility sitting on our shoulders. So, you know, I think we'll, I think, unfortunately, my 5% of public affairs will never go back to that level again. I, I think we've got a great opportunity with government. I think we need to get our act together. I think we need to create more data points. If we want to get serious with Bayes and DIT, you know, we need to really prove the value of the sector, how exhibitors are getting the value from it. Um, I mean, fortunately, we've invested in things like size and scale reports and economic impact reports, but, you know, the, the government needs data to support its case. Sure. So, so I think there'll be a step change in the industry. I think we'll do more public affairs. I think, you know, if anything, um, we, we've just looked at our plans for 2021, which we've got that flexibility to mix in face-to-face -face and digital as is appropriate. So, you know, I think it, we will carry on our revolution. Um, but unfortunately, I need to find enough revenue to the points in the public affairs, perhaps. Um, um, Chris, what's the biggest learning for yourself so far this year? The biggest learning? Yeah. Wow. God. There, there, there have been so many, there, there, there's been so many, but ultimately I, I'm not a very clever chap, right? I, I, I believe in being honest and, and listening to your customers and then delivering what they want with all your heart. And um, so, I, so I think what I've probably learned is, is that, that is, it might be the most simple approach. Um, but as long as you're good to yourself and, good, and, and you, you, you'll, you'll go far and, what I have learned is the appreciation from people and the way that everybody has literally lost any competitive edge, the unity and the support has been extraordinary. And, it, and sure. if that is a legacy of this, then it's been a good thing. And that's, that may take a long time to come, sure. come to terms with that because it doesn't feel like a good thing at the minute.